in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here, live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is the T.C. Martin Show, Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. And, of course, our home normally here on Fridays at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. But because it is Elite Eight action and we bring in all of the March Madness to you, we are here again today and tomorrow. It all started with hoops and hops when this uh, thing started back uh, a week ago last Friday. And always a pleasure being here at our home, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. T.C. Martin, ballpark slash VGK. Frank. Brian Benowitz uh, has, has left us. We appreciate Tracy Murray from UCLA joining us last hour live from Indianapolis. Matthew Holt will join us from U.S. Integrity and our sportsbook guy at the bottom of this hour. And uh, now stepping in, the man <laughs> coming down the aisle. Height unknown, weight unknown, the one and only Sam Gordon, the pride of Minnehaha. What's up, man? How you doing, TC? I'm good, Happy man. Happy to be back, man. I'm good. I'm glad to have you here. You were here with us the very first day. We kicked it all off with hoops and ops, man. There were 64 back then, and yeah. now there's only eight. All right. Ain't that and, something? And, and how many nachos were, were there for you that, that opening day? Quite a few. Because you went to work. Quite, those, I, I did. The pastor nachos? I that, had yeah? to. Oh, they were outstanding. As you should. I, I needed to. I, I needed I, to refuel. Yeah. I want you to feel me. <laughs> there you go, man. Because as you know, Sam, I mean, fan, uh, food is is an important, vital part of the show. It is. It, it, you you got to have your sports, but you have to have your food and what, your beverage. What's one without the other? Thank you very much. There it is. All right. All right, man. What was your impressions of the uh, Sweet 16 Saturday and Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple good games and some duds, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, I mean, here we are at 8. Listen, I, you, I'm not, you can't be surprised. 3-1 seeds take care of business. You have Gonzaga. You have Baylor. You have Michigan. I thought they were all really, really impressive, right? They did what they – they looked like one seeds. Double-digit comfortable victories. They did what they had to do. Um, pleasantly surprised by UCLA. Mm-hmm. UCLA-Alabama to me was the game of the weekend, along mm-hmm. with Oral Roberts and Houston. Both games go right down to the wire. Uh, but I got, you got to give a tip the cap to Mick Cronin and what he's been able to do. His first NCAA tournament with UCLA – was supposed to have a five-star guard in Dacia Nix. He ended up in the G League. Uh, you, you, there's just the turnover and everything that happened and the, the way they lost the end, four straight to end the regular season. And didn't matter. I mean, he got, the, he got that team ready to go. They beat Michigan State, and then they win their first three NCAA tournament games. And UCLA, lo and behold, is back in the Elite Eight. So to me, so far, um, they're the most kind of interesting team I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to. I'm, I'm following because of the surprise element. Um, Oregon State also obviously very impressive. Their, their run to the Elite Eight, of course, started here in Las Vegas with the way they were able to take care of business uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. Defensively, TC, they've just been phenomenal. And that started against, ironically enough, UCLA when they were down 15 in that game. And they, they rely on their defense to get back in the game. And they've been stifling defensively the rest of the way. So I think for that very reason, I think they're going to at least be in the game with Houston, who has great guards and who's played really well um, up to this point. And, and then again, uh, USC. I mean, the Pac-12, three Pac-12 teams. USC, not, not necessarily a surprise. Anytime you have a guy that is going to be a top three NBA draft pick, you have that kind of ability. You have that kind of upside. And, and really impressed with how the rest of the team has played around Evan Mobley. He's taking care of uh, business on his part. The rest of the team playing well around him. And, and lo and behold, we're here. So it's been a fun tournament. A uh, lot of upsets. And, and now the kind of, I think, the chalk at this point is starting.
starting to emerge, and uh, it, these next two days should be a lot of fun. I want to go back to the Pac-12 tournament because you covered that, and you were you saw just about all of those games. So you saw SC, you saw UCLA, you saw the Oregon State run. At that point in time, when you were watching these games, did you have any inclination whatsoever that they could make this type of run in the NCAA tournament? Uh, no, no, I really didn't. And and. I, I thought if there was one team that could, it was USC because of Mobley, because just of the upside that he has. And, and when you have a guy like that who can dominate on, bo- it, 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 on both ends of the floor, uh, he can get hot, the team can get hot around him. But what Oregon State's been able to do and what UCLA's been able to do both as really low seeds has been nothing short of incredible. And I think this is an interesting – this year in particular was super interesting. It was, it was harder, I think, in hindsight now that we have more information. We, we're almost at the end of the season. But we thought all year the Big Ten was this, you know, just this amazing league. Well, Juggernaut. What context <laughs> do we have? There right. was, the, the non-conference schedule wasn't the same. Normally you have 14, 15 non-conference games to really gauge how these Power Five teams stack up against teams around the country and how these conferences stack up around the country. And because we didn't have that, I think we just assumed the Big Ten – was a lot better and that the Pac-12 wasn't very good and we couldn't have been more wrong about that so definitely a surprise uh, but I think when when the Pac-12 is good I mean we're out here on the west you know towards the west coast it's good for us we get to see a lot of their games uh, there's a lot of talking points on this side of the country and um, and the champion the conference of champions is, is representing and, and standing tall in this tournament when you're looking at the Pac-12 and the what they've done up to this point in the tournament here with three teams left in the elite eight here how does that affect the entire conference when it comes to recruiting and stuff like that? Does it make it more viable? Because we always hear about the East Coast bias, and we know that some of the people on the East Coast in different places, maybe they don't see as many games because they're so late at night or whatever. But this has to be eye-opening, and maybe some kids are going, you know what, maybe I don't need to stay in the Big Ten or stay in the Big East or something like that. You know, the Pac-12 is viable. We know that they can keep kids from the West Coast, but does this help open it up a little bit more to make them a little bit more susceptible to maybe go there? Yeah. Or is it just kind of a one-and-done? type thing and it's an anomaly i mean i would you would have to think so right and it's because i mean yeah the pac-12 has been down for a few years but let's not act like they don't have some of the most historical programs in all of college basketball right we normally expect ucla to be good they had some down years but more often than not for the last i don't know 60 or 70 years ucla has been some kind of player so to see them again on this kind of stage has to be great for their branding i think usc too obviously again a football school we know them as a football school but hey look they're andy enfield his staff is doing a tremendous job that's always been a program that even historically has been able to get five-star guys i mean oj mayo demar DeRozan. there is some appeal to usc um i I think oregon state that's definitely a surprise i don't know if all of a sudden oregon state's going to become a recruiting hub again but Generally speaking, I think this is great branding, great promotion for the conference. You can come out west, you can win, you can play at a high level, you can live in some warm weather and really have a, a, a thorough uh, collegiate experience. So it's, it's great for the Pac-12, and again, I think great for college basketball to see some of these traditional powers with big brands at this stage. Of course, everybody loves the upsets. The upsets make everything fun, but there, there's nothing wrong, to, in my opinion, with UCLA being in the Elite Eight again. Yeah, because UCLA definitely has the talent. They've gone through you know, a few coaching changes you know, over some time. Mm-hmm. And again, bringing a guy like Mick Cronin from Cincinnati, UCLA, I know with a for a lot of people who follow the UCLA program, they thought, okay, this this really doesn't fit. You know, right. it's, it's, it's and he's kind of a throwback to Ben Hallam, the way Ben Hallam was. But then again, you know, Steve Alford was totally different. So you figure, okay, UCLA, they're going to to get that fixed at some point in time. USC, when Andy Infield was at Florida Gulf Coast and made his Sweet 16 run, obviously he was the hot coach. USC was 
in some turmoil at that point in time. They said, hey, yeah, let, let's grab this guy. But it really never took full effect mm-hmm. until now. And USC has been one of those programs, and you mentioned some, some great names mm-hmm. o- over the past, but never real stellar teams. Every once in a while, we'd see them make a little bit of a run. So for Trojan basketball, this is good. My question is, how long will this continue? Will this be where USC can maybe finally take over uh, as the basketball program in Los Angeles? Yeah, uh, that might be a little ambitious for Andy Enfield, uh, just because, again, there's not necessarily... Because this was a surprise. Even though Mobley was a fantastic recruit, this is still a surprise. No, it it definitely is. It definitely is. But I think, I mean, I think Mobley's presence in this run, that's not not a coincidence. The kid was the best player in the Pac-12 all year. He swept all their awards. He's an All-American. He's going to be a top-three draft pick. And he's the kind of player that impacts the game without having to score the basketball. It just makes everybody better by being out on the floor with the way he's able to play, with the things he's able to do on both ends. So that, now, again, give Andy Enfield credit. I mean, he hired the Mobley, uh, Evan and Isaiah Mobley's dad, Eric Mobley on his staff, who had a great run with the Compton Magic, one of the best AAU programs in the country. So there are, there, I think having him around, I, I, not just with his sons, is, is important because of the relationships he has, and he has been able to recruit at a high level. But I don't, I don't know if this year is enough to necessarily move the needle and make USC the powerhouse in L.A. I think Mick Cronin, his body of work, yeah, you're right, it's not, not necessarily the, the fit you would think. But he's been a great, great, great basketball coach for a long, long time, and it's had sustained success. And knows how to get guys that, that play um, his style of basketball and play it at a high level. Defense, you know, gritty team um, basketball. So as long as he's in the fold, I expect UCLA to still be a little bit better. But it's, it's huge for USC, and, and who knows? I mean, maybe something happens tomorrow night, and that, you know, we're having a completely different conversation. I don't, I'm not, I don't expect that to happen. But, again, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't <laughs> expected, including three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. So here we are. An awful lot's been made about USC and the fact that they're not very good at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. They were in their last game. It was actually Alabama in the last round that just oh, absolutely geez. was terrible at the free throw line. But the fact that they do historically this year have difficulty shooting the free throws, do they have a shot against Gonzaga, a team as good as Gonzaga? I mean, obviously they have to hit their free throws against them, but Gonzaga, the one thing that I would think maybe USC has going for them is that they can keep the game close. Gonzaga hasn't been in those types of games, yeah. whereas USC has been. But, boy, in crunch time, you know, if you're not a good free throw shooting team, that's a recipe for disaster. Well, to your point, we saw that. We saw how that played out on the biggest stage yesterday with Alabama. I mean, they couldn't make, you know, they couldn't buy free throws. And if they're even average at the free throw line, they win that game in regulation. But in March Madness at the NCAA tournament, you're in these high pressure situations. Free throws, big free throws are often a, a huge in deciding games. And yeah, I do think that that might work to a detriment if USC is in a close game. But I do believe, now I picked Gonzaga to win the whole thing, and I, I haven't seen anything, what I've seen so far has validated all my thoughts about them going into the tournament. Obviously, something can happen in any given, any given game, but they, they look like a machine. Now, one thing, and TC and I actually talked about this when we were at the West Coast Conference Tournament, is how are they going to match up when they deal with real size, real athleticism in the post, and, and with real big guys that can move around, do things at the basket and away from the basket? I think Evan Mobley is such a unique matchup. Uh, Drew Timmy's an excellent post player, but... He hasn't contended, hasn't had to contend with somebody like Evan Mobley. And then from a team perspective, you get him in some pick and rolls, some pick and pops. 
Uh, you, you free up the guards. He can pop on the perimeter and knock down shots. So his versatility, I think, is it's a load for any team to cover, uh, and I think it's going to be a load for Gonzaga as well. Now, can Gonzaga design a game plan and adjust and, and make sure he doesn't you know, destroy them while, while still limiting the other guys and making sure they don't go crazy? Sure, Mark Few is an excellent coach, but I think because of Mobley, because of his uniqueness, and because of just how he matches up against Gonzaga, um, that USC is going to have a chance to stay in the ballgame. It's just can they score with Gonzaga? Gonzaga's offense is so, so, so potent that we know can they keep pace. And to go a little further on that point, you look at this matchup with USC and Gonzaga, in, in my opinion, this is the first time that they are going to see that type of athleticism, mm-hmm. that type of length. Now, let's, even though it was a COVID year, Gonzaga still played a pretty good non-conference Absolutely. schedule. They played Kansas, they played Auburn, and they played West Virginia. Yep. Specifically, Kansas doesn't have that great size, but they got some pretty good size, and West Virginia's got some length. You know, so it's been a, a while since Gonzaga has seen that. I mean, you know, that's, that's 25 games ago. Yeah. When you're playing the WCC, you're not seeing anything like those those USC bodies. So, and you could make the argument that is, you know, Gonzaga's been rolling along here, but they still probably haven't played their best game right. for 40 full minutes. Right. So I'm giving USC. It, it pains me to say this because I'm just not a big USC fan because a team that doesn't shoot the ball that well from the free throw line or the three-point line, but look what they did yesterday. I mean, they shot the lights out from beyond the arc as yep. well, too. I'm thinking that USC can actually give Gonzaga some problems because of this length and, like you said, specifically Mobley. They haven't seen anybody like him. No, they haven't. And there is nobody like him. I mean, he's the closest thing. I know there's been a lot of – he's not – I'm not saying he's Anthony Davis. He's not Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is the best player in the country as a freshman and is one of the five best players in the NBA and is a champion in all those things. It's not fair to put those kind of expectations on Evan Mobley. But he is probably the closest thing from a skill standpoint and, it, and the way he's able to impact the game and the things he's able to do, probably the closest thing we've seen to Anthony Davis in the last decade in college basketball. So with that, having him in the fold, yeah, Gonzaga definitely, definitely has their hands full in dealing with him. But on, on the contrary, on the other end, does USC have enough defensively? I mean, Evan Mowie can do a lot of things defensively, but, but they have so much firepower with Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy and Joel Ayayi. I mean, they can play so many different styles. You, you can go down in the post. You can spread it out and run pick and roll. You have shooting. They get up and down in transition. To me, offensively, they, they don't have – there's no weaknesses that that Gonzaga team at the college level has offensively. I do think Gonzaga is going to struggle at times defensively with USC, but I'm not sure USC – they're going to have to score 75, 80, 85 points to win that game. I'm not sure they're going to. I'm curious, is, is USC going to try and slow the game down, limit the possessions? They have the personnel to do that. We'll see. I mean, it's, gonna, it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating matchup. To me, the most interesting and most compelling matchup in the Elite Eight that we have. So uh, definitely got that one circled, and uh, looking forward to watching tomorrow night. Yeah. When it comes to that, you look at Gonzaga, and we yeah. talk about it in sports all the time. It's all about matchups, you know. Yep. Maybe this team is better than that one, but they don't play well against this team or whatever like that. When you look at the Elite Eight, and if you were looking to beat Gonzaga, which team would you think would be the worst or the biggest nightmare matchup for Gonzaga of any of them? That might not even happen, but if you were to look at this roster, which team would you say that's the team that Gonzaga could maybe fear and could maybe get past them? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I would go with Baylor, I think, yeah. just because their guards, uh, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, those guys guard. Those guys, I mean – those guys are real defensive play- I mean, real two-way players. Yeah, and right. the, the head of the snake uh, on Gonzaga, I think, is Jalen Suggs, a freshman guard that we talked about ad nauseum on this show. He's so dynamic, unlike any player that they've ever had and the things that he's able to do. Baylor has a guy in Davion Mitchell that you know, has 
big-time defensive potential at the NBA level. You put him on Jalen Suggs, you slow him down and make Gonzaga play through Drew Timmy or do things that they don't want to do, I think they have a chance. It's because of their personnel defensively. So that would – I still like Gonzaga to win the whole thing, but but I'm not ruling out – I know TC picked Baylor. I mean, Baylor is big time, and Baylor has looked every bit like the number one seed. They have taken care of business. Villanova is a very, very good program, and Baylor was clinical on the defensive end against Villanova. Now, Gonzaga is a whole different beast, but I think – Baylor has the personnel best suited to stop them if that if we get that match in the national championship. And it's interesting too because when this schedule first came out, we thought that if they met again in the tournament, that it would be a rematch. But because of COVID, they didn't meet before. So you wonder if maybe a little familiarity would help one of the teams more than the other. But now they don't have it, so they're both going in. And uh, I, I wonder how that makes the coaching and everything else. Because if they knew each other a yeah. little bit more, maybe it would be different in a rematch scenario. But we didn't have that because of COVID. So this is the matchup that it seemed to me that everybody was kind of hoping for that we'd see at the end because we didn't see it earlier in the season. Yeah, and we didn't see it last year. I mean, this was a matchup that – I mean, this Baylor and Gonzaga – very well could have played in the national championship last season with the talent they had last year. So this thing has been two years in the making. I do believe these are the two best teams in the country. Uh, somebody can get hot, make a bunch of threes, and knock one of them off. But if, if based on what we've seen so far, these teams have been so clinical, taking care of business on all fronts. I would be surprised to a degree if we don't get that matchup in the national championship. They've looked like the top two teams in the country so far. All right. We will revisit uh, tonight's Elite Eight matchups and tomorrow's as well with Sam Gordon in just a little bit. So hang tight for that. Matthew Holt will join us at the bottom of the hour as well, too. We'll go to a little roundtable and we can uh, match that up. Sam Gordon, join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Sam, you've been covering uh, the UNLV situation here. Kevin Kruger, the head coach, wrote another nice piece uh, the other day. So well, congrats on that. Thank you. Um, and again, you and I have talked a lot about this uh, and we both talked to Kevin Kruger and Lon Kruger here on the show you, and you spoke to both of them uh, during your pieces uh, for the last week or so. Uh, talk a little bit now that we've about we were a week ago when the announcement was made that UNLV was going to hire Kevin Kruger. Uh, for some people not a real sexy pick but if you're from Las Vegas you kind of say hey this is this is okay this is good uh, and especially considering where the UNLV program is currently at right now. Now that we've had basically seven days to digest this, give me your thoughts about Kevin Kruger as a UNLV head coach. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think situa- I think it's a good fit. I do. I think it's a good fit. Yeah, a big name might have injected life into the program a little more quickly. You might have had a splashy, uh, you might have been able to get a splashy recruiting class or jump on some big name transfers and get the thing turned around a little bit more quickly. But I think the thing that stuck out to me, TC, throughout the whole process is that UNLV isn't necessarily a destination job anymore, but it is for Kevin Kruger. He wants to be here. He cares about the program. He played for the program. He cares about the city. He, he loves the city, and I, I believe that's genuine. I mean, I think I know that's one of the things we've been hearing a lot, but I think that matters. When you have a guy that, that understands the program, that understands winning at UNLV, he's been to the Sweet 16, who understands basketball. He's a basketball dude. He's been around basketball since he was born, literally, has played against top competition in the G League and overseas, has coached big-time players at Oklahoma when he was an assistant. I mean, he coached Trey Young, and Trey Young is 28-9 in the NBA every night. He's a big-time player. So he knows what, what winning basketball looks like. He knows what four- and five-star players look like. He knows how to coach those guys. And I think that bodes well for, for UNLV. Now, that doesn't, that, does that mean he's going to turn the program around in one day or 
or, or that he's a lock to turn it around? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think he still understands. The sense I got from talking to him is he understands, look, this is an uphill battle. Uh, the program's not where it was. It doesn't have the same allure, and that it's going to take a process. It's going to take getting the right players in here. It's going to take coaching, player development, the whole nine yards to really get this thing off the ground. But he seems like he's up for the challenge, and I, I believe he cares about the program in a very, very genuine way. And, and wants this to this a destination job for him, and, and wants to make his home here. And that I don't know if 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 that could the same thing could be said about every other mm-hmm. coach, coaching candidate because of how far the job's fallen in prestige. So I think it's a good fit, and I think um, having Lon Kruger around now that Lon Kruger's retired, now I don't don't expect him necessarily to be involved um, in, in with UNLV in any uh, you know official capacity. But I can say this: if my dad was one of the greatest coaches of all time, and I'm starting my first head coaching job, and he moved to my city. Just having him close by would, would ease my nerves a little bit. So I think having him uh, close, close by is going to help, too, in some capacity. You know, you talk about the, the, uh, the dream job, and this is what he really wants. And that term a lot of time is used very, very loosely with a lot of coaches. But you're right. When Kevin Kruger says it, we should really take heart with this. Yeah. And it's hard. A lot of people will just dismiss that because – this guy really does want to be here. Yeah. I mean, this is this is his home or second home, probably his number one home, and he really wants this job. So it would not surprise me at all if he does have success that he would not be lured away for the bigger dollars because we got to take him for what, what his word is right now. And I think the only other guy that you could actually say that to and we would have never known is Dave Rice mm-hmm. because Dave Rice had the exact same situation, playing for Tark, loving Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and – Dave Rice had success, and he never really had the carrot daggled in front of him, but he was a guy that loved this city and loved this program because when you play for it and you're embedded in it, it means something more so than T.J. Otzelberger, and he said it a couple years ago, but again, another, you know, Marvin Menzies said the exact same thing, dream job, this and that, but there's this connectivity and this connection with this city and those two guys, Dave Rice and Kevin Kruger, so I really do believe if he can get it going, People should believe him when he says that he wants to be here for the long term. Well, I think you look at his, as a coach's son, TC, you look at his upbringing. I mean, he bounced around a lot, right? I mean, he was in Gainesville. They were in Manhattan, Kansas. Then they're in Champaign, Illinois. And then they're down in the Atlanta area. So... He, if you talk about home, I mean, this he was coming up here when he was at Arizona State. His dad was the coach here. He was coming up here, scrimmaging against those guys, playing pickup with them in the summer, being around the city. And then, of course, his dad was here up through 2011, too. You don't think he was coming home and seeing him when during downtime and spending time in the city? I, of course, he played for the program. And it, I, I do think there, there, there is, is, for him, dream job isn't just words it really seems like that's a genuine thing and everybody i've spoken to has said the same thing that look this is what he's wanted since he started coaching this is what he had circled and and he's going to have his opportunity to prove he's the right guy for the job he he might be he might not be but i think wanting to be here is a good place to start and caring about this program on more than just a business level i think is important and it bodes well uh for unlv it's definitely a good place to start along with again being the son of one of the greatest coaches uh, college basketball coaches of the last 40 years what lon kruger accomplished uh has been nothing short of sensational at at various programs and uh kevin was a part of that kevin saw that kevin's been around the game his whole life he's been around at at a high level and uh now he now he's gonna get his chance one of the things that it seemed like surprised some people was how quickly this took place. Yeah. That, uh, you know, he was hired right away. How wide do you think the search really was as far as a coach to replace TJ? And 
Do you think the factors of the fact that it worked out financially and that they did want a coach that they wanted to make sure was going to be here for a while? Because we talked at nauseum out, you know, they basically hired five coaches in four years and interviewed people in that, that it, everything just kind of almost seemed like the perfect storm for Kevin to be coming here right now. That's a really good way to put it, perfect storm, right? Like, so he does want to be here. You do get to save a little money, and you do get to move quickly, which is to the benefit of the, the players on the roster. It gives, it gives Kevin Kruger uh, an earlier chance to build his program. And also, I do think there was some thought put into it uh, for the for the players on the team, whether or not so they know that whether they should transfer, whether they know they should come back, uh, things like that. But it, it, to, it, to me, it feels like, yeah, I think there were some, a couple other candidates. I know there were a couple other candidates, but you just kind of take a step back, right? They bring in T.J. Otzelberger. I, I guess in hindsight, it looks like they thought there might have been a feeling there that he was going to leave at some point. If, if he, he gets the program turned around like the way he wanted it, or like he, the way that they expected it to, he's going to leave for a bigger job, and then you have Kevin Kruger right there on the staff. So I don't know. This, what I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is it's possible that this was kind of the plan all along, sure. that he was the coach in waiting, he was somebody that they had in mind, and that's why he left a job on a Big 12 staff at a big-time program under his dad to come to UNLV. Now, it didn't – T.J. Osselberger, it wasn't – he didn't leave because he was quite all the success here. <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, he left because a, a job for him that Iowa State feels is a good fit opened up. But his dream job. His, yeah, his dream job. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, uh, again, Kevin Kruger knows Vegas. He knows the city. He knows the program. He knows what it takes to win. And I do believe, you know, like, the, like you said, it was a perfect storm for UNLV. They get their guy. They get to save a little money. And they get somebody who wants to be here without completely disrupting the continuity that Otzelberger had tried to establish in his two years here for, without, for what that's worth. He is Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal, covers UNLV and many other things for the RJ, the transfer portal. Very popular right now. And you've been covering that. Uh, let's take a look at that and the recruits that have c committed to UNLV prior to this. Who stays? Who goes, in your opinion? What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen six guys, uh, six players enter the transfer portal. I wouldn't be surprised if Bryce Hamilton um, follows suit and jumps in the portal. I think he's going to have his fair share of suitors, if he would, based on the level of play he, he put forth these last couple of years. He's a proven scorer in the Mountain West. And it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if, if David Jenkins bolts either. Now, I think Nick Blake's staying put. And then as far as that, uh, every, I mean, the, the pretty much there was only like a six-man rotation last year. So the, uh, you have that rotation is pretty much gone. So uh, I, know, I know Kevin Kruger is actively recruiting the transfer portal and looking for players. I think they really need, we talked about it on the show over and over and over, they need a dynamic lead ball handler. And having Marvin Coleman back, I think Marvin Coleman's staying put. Having him back is certainly going to help even if you don't get somebody dynamic, but I know they, they want a big-time playmaker, somebody that can get in the paint, distribute, score, and do things like that. Those are the guys that um, Kevin Kruger and company have been looking at, and, and it's important, I think, to build the program around uh, around ball handling and penetration and things like that that they didn't have last year. So um, it's there's still plenty of time to, to work those things out, but yeah, not necessarily a surprise that he's turning over the roster and are going to look for players that are more equipped to play what he what he the style he wants to play up tempo, get up and down, play great defense, and go from there. Kevin Kruger wants Kevin Kruger. Yeah, he does. I mean, that's <laughs> can, you, can you blame him? <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, that, you just uh, described him. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> he yeah. Played for UNLV. No, he he'd be a, he certainly would be a good fit if there's another Kevin Kruger out there. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
You might, might want a big man Kevin Kruger too. <laughs> That's oh, true. That, that, that could help. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they just I, I think they just need talent at this yes. point. Obviously, a, yeah. a point guard, a dynamic point guard is a priority, but they could use extra yeah. scoring on the wing if Hamilton leaves and they can use. And, and, and nobody wants to hear, no alumni or booster, even a, a current player or the fan base want to hear, hey, you need to be patient here. But really, that is the message that you have to get across. Yeah. It, because it is a reclamation project right now. This roster has been in flux for the last four or five years, and it's, it's going to take some time. This yeah. is not going to be a quick turnaround for UNLV, so there's going to have to be some patience. Yeah, you, and of course you're going to want to bring in high-impact transfers that, that can play right away, but guess what? A bunch of programs are going to want to bring in high-impact high transfers, and there's a ton, of, a ton of schools out there that are recruiting some of these big-time players in the portal. I imagine UNLV is not necessarily the highest on the pecking order for all these guys, but yeah, I think the portal's got to be a big thing, and then once he really gets settled, we're going to see what those recruiting classes in 22, 23 look like down the road. That's how he's going to ultimately build a sustainable program is by recruiting his own guys. All right. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Matthew Holt is going to join us coming up next as we talk Elite Eight. We'll start breaking it down for you. Tonight, two games, another two games tomorrow. We'll be here, of course, tomorrow as well, too, with all of our coverage here at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Don't you dare go anywhere. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook. We're coming up to game time here. We're about 45 minutes away from Oregon State taking on Houston and Arkansas and Baylor. Looking forward to it as the Elite Eight Starts tonight. We start dwindling down to the Final Four, which will take place on Saturday, live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, it is the T.C. Martin Show. We are, like I said, about 45 minutes away from tip-off of game number one tonight in the Elite Eight. Looking forward to that. Also, get yourself a mobile app. If you don't have it yet, now is the time to get it. So you can play the games from the comfort of where you're watching the games. It is real simple to do. You get the mobile app, the William Hill mobile app. Go online, download it. Once you download it, you get an opportunity to win 50 free dollars. Not win. I mean, get 50 free dollars. All right? So then deposit at least 50 bucks into your account here at the Cosmopolitan or any William Hill sportsbook or kiosk around town, use the promo code TC50. Use that promo code, 50 free dollars in your account. Why not use it? Take advantage of it. Bet March Madness. Bet the NBA. Bet the NHL. Bet Major League Baseball starting on Thursday. Whatever you want to do. Use that promo code TC50 for the William Hill mobile app. And the thing about it is, although, like you said, it's not actually winning, it feels like winning. It's true. And... (laughs) It's a guaranteed win. It's a guaranteed bet. You bet the 50, you get, you get 50. It's a guaranteed winner. How often do you get that? And it's business? even money. You don't have to lay the juice. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a win. <laughs> it's a win-win. There it is. All right, here's a guy who knows something about winning, our good friend Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, let's uh, talk about tonight's Elite Eight, uh, Oregon State and Houston uh, tonight. We know that uh, you, you've been on these Pac-12 teams. We have got, uh, you know, right now three in the Elite Eight. Uh, the Beavers have really put some strong efforts together. How do you see tonight's game going and the Cougs a seven-and-a-half-point choice? Look, we talked about this on Friday, heading into the Speed 16. When you have totals this low, the points associated with the underdog become at a higher value. We talked about Oregon State on Friday getting too many points, and again, a total under 130 
yet you can catch eight points with Oregon State. I think that number is still too high for what appears to be another rock state between defensive teams. i got to go with the Beavers. When you look at Houston, this is a team that not a lot of people have got a chance to watch on national television unless you follow the American. But these Cougars can be a very dangerous team. They can lock you down defensively, and they do have some size. At what point in time here do you think that this Oregon State run could come to an end, just maybe from a fatigue standpoint? I think it could come to an end tonight because Oregon State is the most dynamic defensive team that they've played. It's simply going to come down to who can make shots tonight. Either one of these teams are known for their shot making. Both of them are known for their excellent defense. Um, you know, I think the winner here is going to struggle greatly with the winner of greatly. Uh, you know, Baylor Air is Arkansas. But this is going to be a rock fight, and in a rock fight, it's a spread's higher than six. You take the point. When you do look at this game, and certainly the back the Pac-12 has been sensational up to this point here. Do you look at that at all when you're handicapping this game and go the whole conference was so undersold that I have to look at them more seriously? Or like you mentioned, is it just a fact of you just think maybe this is too big a line with that low of a total too? Like you said, the points are more of a premium. Oregon State's been really good up to this point here. But I really thought that Houston surviving that game against Rutgers gave them a lot of confidence and kind of maybe a little bit of that, okay, we got past our tough challenge here. You know, I don't keep. I, I try not to keep harping back to what we talked about on Friday. But I think we hit every single game right. But again, Houston was such a bad matchup for Syracuse, a team reliant on the three. Buddy Beheim had shot 60% from three-point range in the first two games, but against a really long, in-your-face defensive team like Houston, that just wasn't going to be the case. He wasn't going to get open looks. The Syracuse was likely to struggle. Oregon State is not as dependent on the three as Syracuse. Neither one of these teams shoots the ball exceptionally well. I think this is going to be a really tightly defended game, and it will come right down to the wire. Houston's probably a little bit better at scoring inside around the paint with a lot of guys around 6-8 than Oregon State is. But at the end of the day, it, it looks to be another low-scoring effect. Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. The nightcap tonight, Arkansas and Baylor, that'll tip – uh, approximately 7 o'clock tonight. Baylor, an eight-point choice over Arkansas. We saw the Hogs, uh, Matt. Uh, they were life and death to beat an Oral Roberts team. Oral Roberts, uh, the 15 seed, was one bucket away from advancing to this game. And, uh, you know, not a, a good sight if you're going to look across and see the Baylor Bears, how dangerous they are because they have lived up to all the hype. Yeah, Baylor is so good, man. Unbelievable how good this Baylor team is. Number four in the country, averaging 83 points per game, yet allowing only 70 points per game. A 13-point differential just there. They do everything right, this Baylor team. They force back-to-back teams that don't turn the ball over in Wisconsin and Villanova into a bunch of turnovers. Ball security is going to be everything for Arkansas tonight. I think the Razorbacks and the and the bus the must bus comes to an end. I I love what Musselman's done, but at the end of the day, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get away with the mistakes that they've made in their past two contests and move on tonight against what might be clearly the second best team in the country in the Baylor Bears. A lot more hesitant here to take the underdog. We got a big over under and one of, and two of the highest scoring teams in the country. This one figures to be a shootout, and if Arkansas isn't careful with the basketball, it could also turn into a blowout. 
you know, Baylor didn't probably play their best game. Uh, they definitely were trailing Villanova at the half in the last contest. And then uh, they didn't shoot the ball exceptionally well. And, you know, Baylor is a team that's, uh, you know, the best three-point shooting team in the country. But, uh, you know, they un- untracked uh, in the second half, and they took care of business. They forced Villanova into a whole bunch of turnovers, uh, got 22 points off those turnovers. Really, that was the game. And the other side, Arkansas, got that victory against Oral Roberts. They made one three-pointer. I mean, if that's going to be the trend here and Arkansas isn't going to take care of the basketball, uh, this thing could get ugly real quick, Matt. Yeah, I agree. That's right. I mean, Arkansas better take care of the basketball tonight. Taylor has been so good at forcing turnovers. And to your point, they haven't had a great shooting game yet, and they're due for one. They look pretty good against Wisconsin, um, but, but this is a really good shooting team, and, it's, and they're due to have a good game from behind the arc at some point. So, you know, Arkansas needs to take care of the basketball, and Arkansas needs to drive the basketball tonight and score from inside the paint. That's the key for them to beat Taylor. You know, they're a number three seed, but they really haven't looked like it. And they, they put a nice little run together during the course of the season. But, you know, Moody didn't look like he was on top of his game against uh, ORU. But uh, I still look at seven and a half or eight points in this game on the Baylor side, Matt. And as much as I love Baylor, and I got Baylor, you know, winning it all, I'm still a little bit leery about laying the eight. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, do, you, do you think that this team covers this, or is Arkansas a live dog? Well, they could be a live dog. They certainly have the aptitude to give Baylor problems. But at the end of the day, stylistically, this is actually a good matchup for Baylor and one that I worry. And to your point, they didn't get off to a great start uh, against Lenovo in the last trailing seven at the half. They couldn't make shots. But this feels like a game. This feels like the style and piece of play. But, you know, Arkansas, you always talk about it with Gonzaga. You don't beat Gonzaga by running up and down the court against the Zags because no matter how good you play, you're playing right into their strength. Same thing with Baylor. The Arkansas Razorback style of play is right into the strength of the Baylor Bears. For that reason, for me, if I'm playing, I'm laying with Baylor. All right. I agree with you, man. Well, and just to emphasize something that you mentioned earlier, too, Matt, when you talk about when you look at point spreads and then you look at the totals, we have three of these four games with seven-and-a-half point spreads. The highest total in one of those games is the Arkansas-Baylor game. So maybe that would show that if you thought one of the seven-and-a-half point spreads would cover, maybe that would be the one where, you know, you expect more both teams to get a little bit more. So Because I was listening to you talk about that a little bit earlier. And uh, real quickly, too, do you think Baylor, of all the teams, teams that are left right now, are they the team that poses the biggest danger to Gonzaga? On paper, you would think so, because they were the number two team all season, and they have some unique um, you know, abilities to do things to the Gonzaga guards that other teams probably have, including turning them over, and, and Kiss Bird and, and Suggs have both been slightly turnover prone when pressured, so maybe... I'm really interested to see what this Michigan team can do against Gonzaga. Boy, are they well coached. Give Jawan Howard and that crew he's put together at Michigan all the credit in the world, even without Isaiah Livers. They are just absolutely on fire. They never turn the basketball over. They continue to get open look. What a well-coached, well-oiled machine Wolverine. Yep, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, they have lived up to to the hype. It seems like those three teams are on another level, and uh, we'll see if that uh, continues to play out. Matt, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks for being patient with us, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk with you tomorrow. Thanks, fellas. Best 
There it is. Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity joined us here. We get ready to tip it off here. We're about 15 minutes away. We're live at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, the T.C. Martin Show, the Houston Cougars. we got some Houston fans in the house here. Make some noise, Cougs. There you go. Take it on the Oregon State Beavers. Who you got tonight, Frank? Um, I, I do like Houston in this game. I think they, I, I think they win the game. Uh, I, I, I think they get it done. I, I think uh, Oregon State finally runs into, you know, Cinderella's slipper uh, doesn't fit anymore. But, again, the way the Pac-12 is on a roll, would it totally surprise me? In this case, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Nothing would surprise me at all. But, uh, yeah, I, I, take, I take the Cougs in this one. I'll take Baylor. I'll take the old Southwest Conference days. You know, Houston and Baylor back in the day. There you go. So we'll take uh, both of them uh, tonight, and we'll see what happens. All right, we reconvene back here tomorrow as uh, USC takes on Gonzaga, UCLA, and Michigan as well. All right, so we are live from the Cosmopolitan. We'll back at it again tomorrow. Traditionally, our Friday home. Of course, we are here each and every Friday, but, of course, we with March Madness with all the games, that's when we are here as well, too. So, uh, yeah, get some food, relax, enjoy. Come on down to the best spot on the Las Vegas Strip. That is the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. And for a local, remember, it's free parking as well, too. So come on out here, get the app, use the, the TC promo code TC50 for $53 to get in your William Hill mobile account. Come on out here and enjoy the games tonight and tomorrow. Oregon State, Houston tonight. Arkansas, Baylor a little bit later. All right, we'll be back at it again tomorrow. I want to thank uh, Sam Gordon for joining us here today uh, and also Tracy Murray uh, from UCLA doing a fantastic job with the UCLA Bruins Radio Network. He is live from Indianapolis, so we appreciate him joining us today as well. And, of course, Hunker a good friend, Matthew Holt. Huh? Hunker down at Hinkle. Hunker down at Hinkle <laughs> Fieldhouse. Exactly. All right. All right, have yourself a good one. Enjoy, and we will catch you right back here tomorrow at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas at 2 o'clock. For Ballpark, Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Enjoy the games tonight, and don't forget, if you miss any part of the show, go check out the website.